Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Anthony uh, Scuderito. His firm, Red Knight Properties, based in New Jersey, has acquired 12 properties, and between himself and his partner, they have a half billion dollars in commercial real estate acquisition experience. So thank you so much for being on the show, Anthony. Sure, Charles. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So uh, what was your background prior to starting your own real estate uh, company and, and, and starting to invest in real estate? Sure. Uh, so great question. So I actually worked for a more of an institutional real estate sponsor that we were talking before the show uh, acquired class A multi-tenant office buildings up and down the East Coast, uh, primarily in um, gateway and secondary markets. So I uh, had great exposure there and that half a billion dollars in acquisition and asset management experience mostly comes from that. Uh, Red Knight right now, my company has about 30 to $35 million under management and 260 units within the tri-state area, which means New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. Okay, awesome. So why did you choose real estate as your investment vehicle when you were leaving your, your corporate job? Yeah, so I already had it as an investment vehicle during my corporate job. So I saw the power of what it was providing for me on a monthly basis, relatively passively. And while I was working, I built a portfolio with the joint venture partner, who's my, my business partner that you mentioned. Now, basic partnership structure, very even split, and rolled with that, did a couple of refinances and a sale or two, and was able to build up a little bit of a track record to start what I do now, very similar to what you do, Charles, is you know syndicating and buying larger deals and um, you know uh, basically spreading the wealth between general partners and limited partners. So what was your first real estate investments? First real estate investment was actually a two family home um, that I'm sure a lot of, of you are aware of the term house hacking. So I actually house hacked it for a few months and uh, unfortunately I had to move out, but it actually kind of was a blessing. It was an unforeseen circumstance and uh, got a new tenant in there and it was cash flowing me a decent amount of money at 20, what was it, 23? years old nice. um, when I bought that first house um, every month um, and still own the property today. Nice. Yeah. I did a similar thing with a three family in Connecticut. So right up where you are. And um, it was, that was the best way. Cause I was telling everybody, all my friends to, you know, to do the same thing I was doing and no one did it. And then they always had issues when they ran out of roommates in their houses. So I said, nice. if you just done it the way I did it, where you could just, and then it was the easiest thing when I moved out, yeah. I rented it within like a week and a half. And uh, it now was a cash flowing uh, inv full investment property, not just something that I was trying to cut down on what I was paying on my pocket. So that's awesome. Right. That's a great way of doing it, especially with, uh, you know, FHA and everything. And yep. um, one great thing about the Northeast is there's a, a plethora of small multifamily, which we don't really have in Florida as much, but up there, there'd just be, uh, you know, streets and streets of duplexes, triplexes and quads. Yep. So it's awesome. Um, so what is your current investment strategy and criteria with you and your partner in Red Knight? Sure. Uh, so current investment strategy, and we're recording this in August, end of August, and we're still going on with the COVID-19 crisis. So we're 
we're cautiously optimistic and kind of seeing what happens. We're very closely monitoring the performance of our portfolio. Uh, I would say from an overall strategy perspective, we buy value-add, meaning the apartments need you know, a decent amount of work in order to fix up, raise the rents, decrease expenses, really increase that net operating income and drive value to the overall property through a liquidity event, whether it's a refinance or a sale. So we're still on the same investment thesis from the asset class standpoint, I would say, um, even you know during this crisis, because we're seeing how well the properties are, are holding up. And even before starting the company, you know, um, I knew there was some sort of recession that was going to take place. I didn't know it was going to be a health crisis on top of it. So uh, here we are today. And uh, we were acquiring deals at, you know, you're talking cap rates, 8, 10, 11% at the time. We were able to buy, you know, the relatively smaller deals, 10 families at a time. Um, but we were able to acquire those properties, build up a track record, and then able to syndicate larger deals, which uh, still had the same type of metrics. We, we're still looking to buy for in-place cash flow. I'm not saying it has to be a 10 cap, but it, it's got to have some sort of in-place cash flow because there's a lot that could potentially go wrong, especially with unforeseen circumstances like COVID. So we're always trying to buy for strong in-place cash flow with upside and the rent rolls uh, through primarily renovations. We've some, done some structural renovations too. But we try to stay away from extremely, extremely heavy yeah. Um, it's more of light to my value add uh, properties. Right, right. What um, <clears throat> Do you have a minimum investment amount or unit? So, I mean, different groups have different metrics that they work by. Yeah, um, for the syndications, um, it's kind of, as you know, a gray area. It usually depends on the deal. Our deals right now are from five to 20 minutes. So on some deals, our minimums were 50, and on some, they were 25. So it really depends. Um, and, you know, I don't know if your listeners are aware of the different security laws, 506B, 506C. Um, so we try to keep it small into a 506B where we have pre-existing relationships. So the minimums might be a little bit higher, but I've seen minimums of 250. I've seen minimums of 500 before. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've, we're, you know, still growing and we want to be able to have um, non-accredited and accredited participate in our properties. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's how we do it. I think it's 85% of how non-marketable securities are, uh, are done is by 506B, which is a pre-existing relationship without the advertising for anybody that, uh, that uh, is, is unaware. The, um, <clears throat> it's great what you're doing because we, we syndicate properties and obviously it's a, it's, it just depends on how solid the deal is. Obviously it's normally, like you said, probably $3 million and above, We've never gone below that with a purchase price, probably four million and above. But um, it's yeah, I mean, it's great to how you guys are working with smaller properties because a lot of operators won't do that because I think there's a lot of value in buying smaller multifamily and smaller mixed use where you can uh, where you can you buy it closer together and you can then uh, reduce the management fee by having a little scale of economy that you've done yourself. So if you can put 50 or 60 units together in a close area, uh, you know, a mile, a couple miles from each other, and then you can, you know, have on-site management or have some sort of management there that's full-time for your properties. Won't be completely on-site like you're talking like a hundred unit plus property, but um, that's a great, that's a great way of doing it. 
Sure, sure. And we generally, um, to that point too, for the properties that we own, I mentioned too, we started out with 10 units, 10 units, and then we kind of scaled up from there. Those 10 units are in relatively proximity to each other, at least in the same mm-hmm. county um, in, in the state that we own it. So that's a really key point. You really want to outsource as much as you can. Uh, we self-manage our properties, but we do have on-site supers and on, you know, third-party handyman that we do rely on. So a roving handyman is kind of the, the best thing, you know, best assets uh, you can have, um, especially if your properties are within 15, 20 minutes from each other, um, you're able to, to have that sort of scale. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of more of a portfolio uh, outlook, a more of like a longer term outlook on, okay, where you're going to invest. And, um, you know, you're, you might be able to package that entire portfolio to a read at some point, um, you know, or, you know, there's, there's more of a longer term strategy to aggregate units and units and units, even though they might not be, under one roof, so to speak. Right. So. Yeah, no, I want to circle back to self-managing because that's something that's very interesting that not many people do in the space that I interview. And um, what, so what is your role at Red Knight with your group? Sure. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's everything, <laughs> um, but um, as well as my partner, um, we, we really do everything, um, but we do have a property management arm. The only thing we don't do um, ourselves, we don't have anybody in house for is construction. So we do outsource to a third party. We have multiple contractors that we've worked with for years that we trust. So uh, we're able to have that Rolodex. Um, But as far as property management goes, I would say get your systems in place. Um, We right now use Buildium, which is a great platform, um, relatively inexpensive. Um, And, you know, for a a newer operator or somewhat emerging operator, I think it's pretty important to self-manage, you know, because you're able to, really understand what's going on at the property pretty much on a daily basis. Um, and, you know, if you're the one leading the deal. So for, I would say most of our syndicated investments, we're like the only general partner. So um, sometimes there's maybe 10 GPs on a big deal and it's all spread out, which is fine. Um, but we like to be control of the capital raising, be control of the debt, be control of the asset management, control of the property management. It's almost a vertically integrated structure um, to some extent. So um, property management is definitely a day-to-day task. I would try to, um, if you're looking to scale, what we're looking for right now, we actually mostly brought on somebody on board is make sure you're accounting. If you're a syndicator and you're not an accountant, do not do it yourself. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you know this, Charles. To make sure you have a good good person for that. Um, on your staff or at least, you know, contracted with your company. And uh, if you want to have like a property management assistant, we just kind of hired one on a virtual basis. There's, there's companies like Upwork.com, Fiverr.com, where you can, we're based out of the Northeast. So the cost of labor is very high. You know, you can hire somebody from um, the Midwest where cost of labor is a lot lower. So it's cost of living. That's why that makes sense. And, you know, it's all virtual and they can help you out. And it's, it's once you gather, accumulate, more and more properties, you can actually spread that cost over the multiple properties. So, you know, if you look at it, it's only, okay, it's a hundred bucks to this property, a hundred bucks to that property. So it's, it's really, um, you really want to gain scale and efficiency in this business. Um, more and more I'm learning. Yeah. With the virtual assistance, that's a great point. The, um, when you're having an assistant for doing the, to the property management, that's great because there's a lot of tasks that they can do themselves, whether it's, 
Um, when I was self-managing, it was um, putting it out to virtual assistants to post the ads yeah. for that. I mean, that's a huge thing. Just getting leads and then sending it to who's ever going to rent the property, right? So you have a whole bunch of leads. That person that's going to be showing the property already has a list of phone numbers, a list of names, and they just called on that list. They don't have to go through their email. They don't have to talk to anybody else, like trying to generate them. Hey, here's, you know, 50 people that are interested in this apartment and, you know, go show it to them, call them all, set up all your open houses, whatever you have to do. And that can all be done. It's something that doesn't have to be done by like management level, right? Where they're trying to do other things. And, um, and that's great. What, what, when you're, when you're looking for properties and assessing them, what are the things that you're really, what are the things you're looking for? And then what are the things that you're like red flag on? Yeah. I mean, very similar to how an appraisal appraiser is looking at a property. So you have the replacement costs approach. Can I build it for less than what I'm buying it for on a per unit basis, uh, land and building. Um, and you know, uh, obviously the income approach is, does it have a decent uh, cash flow yield and, and what is my borrowing cost if I, you know, go to the bank and, and take out a loan on the property. Um, and then obviously the sales comparison approach. So has there been properties similar to this that have sold in the past 10 years, five years? Um, and how did the property perform during the last recession, not this recession, the last one? Mm-hmm. Um, so um, those are like the four things that, that I look for, um, so to speak. But, you know, we always look for other metrics. There's so many that you can look yeah. at, right? Um, so, you know, obviously the market's number one, locations, um, everything. Um, we, we generally look at more, I would say, suburban style, um, you know, uh, garden style garden. apartment buildings, which is becoming more popular now coming out of COVID. And we kind of had a feeling um, that would happen. Um, these people moving out of more urban areas, but we have some properties. I wouldn't say they're in urban areas, but they're more infill. So you'll have like a suburban area that has like a little downtown with maybe a, a mixed use building, um, you know, right in the center of town. So sometimes we'll buy those. Um, but we're generally not too, too urban. Um, we might change that. We'll see what happens with COVID moving forward. Um, but we've always kind of been in the suburban, you know, play. Yeah. I usually see what, you know, usually when you're getting more to when the population increases in an area, like a centralized urbanized area, your cap rates are very compressed yeah, and they get more compressed as you're going in. So you're paying much more for a property, lower returns. But um, what are some things when you're looking at a property like that you're hesitant on that you have to rethink that, you know what I mean? Like if I'm looking at a property and I see we're in Florida, right? So if I'm looking at Florida property and it's frame built, that's going to be something that I'm going to put as yeah. a red flag. Um, we have rain like every hour here. So it's going to be something where it's like flat roofs, right? Is a huge thing in Florida. Like these things I'm going to look at, not saying I won't do a deal, but there's going to be something that I'm going to do. What, what kind of things for you guys, when you're looking at it, obviously we formulate that plan by probably your past experience, but yeah, um, that are red flags. Um, anything structural, like you mentioned with the wood frame, um, noticed a lot of structural issues that sometimes walked on a tour and then I walked out just yeah. because you didn't want to deal with the structural problems. Um, red flags are, you know, that, and we always want to see the collection report, how, how they've been collecting, um, you know, how many subsidized tenants are there right. in the building for the government. I might, I might have a different opinion on that now um and what i did in the past um but you know that was always something i looked at um that was a red flag um you know but if it there's there's a lot of red flags but they could be good 
from a management standpoint, it's something you know that you can clean up when you take over, um, you know, easy things. Um, but, you know, major capital improvement dollars that you didn't really foresee allocating um, when you're, you know, doing your underwriting, then that, that could be problematic, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes, uh, it makes perfect sense, especially when you're saying now with the rent roll, that's super important where we are now in the smack dab of COVID where, uh, you're not able to, in most places, evict your tenants or anything like this. So you really have to know when you're taking over a property, who's in that property and, um, what is their, whatever it says on paper is one thing, but when are they paying rent? And, uh, you know, we're checking, you can just look and see, and you can't see that from a regular broker performa, but you can see that when you're seeing late fees and you can see everything just goes to show uh, the strength of that tenant without doing any type of like, you know, your typical and due diligence, your lease audit. So that's, that's all. That's, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So with, with your self-managing, you guys use Buildium, you have a couple of assistants that are virtual. What other, other pieces to, to the self-managing kind of puzzle that you guys, uh, you cover, I mean, obviously your heavy value add, your CapEx stuff is done by uh, third-party licensed contractors. Uh, do you have anything else in-house? Are you doing like your make ready to get any apartments ready for rental? Is that all done in-house by your? Kind of. So um, the way it works in the tri-state area is that the demand for apartments is so high that tenants pay a broker fee. And usually that's a one month's rent. So we partner with the brokerage firm to manage the leasing of all of our properties, at least within this region. So we do, we have a partnership there. Um, they're not, so to speak, employees of mine actually don't compensate them at all. Usually the tenants pay their, they find a tenant, they pay the fee and they kind of coordinate everything for the most part. Um, you know, the applications still come to me in my office um, and we have to screen them. We have to make sure they meet our criteria. Um, but for the most part, the leasing is done on a third party basis, but at no cost to me and my investors. Nice. Yeah, that's great. The uh, broker fee is something that outside the tri-state people don't really know of. It's, uh, are they cutting them down in New York or something? I heard that they removed them. They used to be crazy, uh, like two or three months rent yeah, up front. Yeah, they like remove. I can't remember what exactly happened, but I think it, they got some a judge ruled on postponing them. I think it was a postponement for like okay. a month. And then I, I think, I believe it's back. Okay. Um, we had some work, workarounds, um, nothing illegal. <laughs> um, to, to that um, situation. Um, but, um, you know, thankfully that, you know, I, I believe that they're okay now. And thankfully we also don't own many property in New York at all. Yeah. Um, we, when I say New York, we own New York state. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure a lot of that applies to New York city, which we, we, we would right. never touch. Um, so we have like a small 12 unit in New York state. It actually does really well. Um, but, uh, thankfully we haven't had to worry about that. If that came to other States, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, et cetera, that could be an issue. But um, yeah. I haven't seen that proposed anywhere to be yeah. honest in a while. Yeah. I was explaining that one time to people in Florida and they're like, wait, so I have to pre I, I pay just to, yeah, I'm like, yeah, you pay to rent the apartment, pay yeah. this guy third party to rent, because it's just not a normal thing in other parts of the country. Um, so how so are you guys, demand. yeah. <laughs> so how are you guys dealing with COVID right now in self-managing? Like what have you, what have you put in? What have you enacted to deal with it in your properties? Yeah. So, you know, in, in terms of, from a health perspective, we put, you know, ladders up in every single hallway um, and, you know, obviously sent out 
communication letters, you know, don't do, you know, congregate with too many people right now, you know, just some general health CDC guideline sort of information. Um, we haven't had many issues there, thankfully, um, on the health side. Um, on the uh, rent collection side, uh, actually has been pretty favorable to us um, ever since this started. I think since April, our collections have been, I think it was like 96 in April. May was a little bit lower. It was like 90, 95 and a half. June was like, I mean, June was higher, like 97. July was around 98. Mm-hmm. And now we're in August. I'm recording this towards the late, middle to middle end of August. Um, right now we're looking pretty good too, um, thankfully. Um, as you're aware, the unemployment extended benefits have dropped off. Um, now, from what I understand, which to me is more of a political option, but it also political statement, but also means more people are going back to work. So I've noticed a lot of my tenants are going back to work. Um, so the collections have been pretty good. Uh, they're at least in the 90s now. Um, they've just been paying a little bit later. So like they, let's say they got a new job starting August 5th and their first paycheck's not going to come for two weeks. Right. So I, I okay, then that's fine. Just pay me when you get your first paycheck. Those are the conversations we've been having, and they've been going pretty well. There are a couple of people, I believe out of our entire portfolio, there's only two to three that I can think of that are trying are taking advantage of the situation right now. And to be honest, it's, I don't think it's going to last for too, too long. So, um, you know, relatively speaking, um, as long as you're communicating with your tenants and they're communicating back, um, you know, which could be a challenge too. Um, it's it, like I said, it's important to have a super because if I don't hear from yeah. somebody in like a day, we're pretty aggressive. They're like we'll knock on the door. Yeah. So, um, you know, just to see, Hey, are you alive? Like what's going on? Um, so um, we, we've communicated. I haven't, I've been able to reach every single tenant actually um, and discuss if there's any issues, et cetera. But the majority of the issues have just been um, just delayed payments, just a little bit, you know, a week or two later. Um, so nothing too crazy right now. It's not the it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's not the best thing in the world. Yeah, no, it's it's good that you, if you have the communications open with the tenants, and usually you can avoid most problems. I feel um, because yeah. if they're going to be honest with you or talk to you, the ones that just disappear off the uh, off the face of the earth, and you never hear from them, and that's when you're, that's when you know there's going to be an issue. But um, so you're saying one other thing about um, with self-managing with superintendents, how do you guys find your supers? Are they in, because that's something that's different. It's mostly, this is uh, for smaller multifamily. So people with larger multifamilies won't have this, but with smaller multifamily, this is, my dad had this all through his properties in Connecticut uh, superintendent. So how did you, how do you guys find them? And how do you, what kind of deals do you cut with them? Is everyone different? It's pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah, um, everybody's different. Um, uh, our, our super that manages like 110 units for us or so. Um, we got lucky. He actually was referred to us by a, a tenant in the building. Um, you know, but it, it, it depends on how much work they're doing. So for him, um, obviously he gets a free apartment and then he gets a little, you know, he gets a salary on top of that. Um, so, you know, and for other cases where if you have like a 10-unit building here, a 10-unit there, whatever it is, which we try not to do anymore. We'll usually have somebody that gets a little bit of a discount on their rent, maybe 200, 300 bucks to help us out with um, certain situations. So um, it's an important thing to keep in mind that they're really dealing with maintenance, at least in the tri-state area, whereas we have a leasing team because some supers do the leasing and the maintenance, which leasing is a job that's in its yeah. itself. 
So to cut down on that for a super and it saves us money um, by obviously not paying as much um, is kind of a win-win situation. Nice. Yeah. It's great to have that because it's your eyes and ears on the property. And um, it's great that you're able to give them some of a discount. Cause I've looked into even buying 12 units and 14 minutes before. And they had, you know, they, everybody has different requirements, what they're giving the super and what the super is doing. And it's all different. Sometimes like you saying, they just get a little bit off just for listening and knocking on the door. Sometimes they're, they're mowing the lawn, you know what I mean? So it can, it can really differ. So it's just, which is great for the smaller uh, multifamilies when uh, you're not, you're the owner not living there. But um, so if you're speaking to a new real estate investor, what advice would you give them from your past experience? Uh, yeah. I mean, it depends on what role they want to be in. They want to be on the active role or passive role. So if they want to, you know, partner with someone and try to work a first deal or try to do it on their own, or they, do they work a nine to five, they, they make a pretty good, you know, W2 income or 1099 income, whatever it is, and just want to find good operators to invest in. Um, it's actually, I, I wanted to start out that way um, when I started. Um, on the more of the passive side, because I feel like I would have learned a lot more from a seasoned operator. Um, but I would just define what you want to do exactly, because at the end of the day, I think your goal, my goal is to generate passive income. Right. That comes in every month. So right now we're both young guys. We're on the active side. We're trying to make things happen. But at some point, it's it's going to be more of your your, your goals are going to change, and it's going to be more of a, a income stream that you kind of want just coming in. So um, just depends on your, your goals. So Anthony, you have a, you have a great podcast. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So uh, Charles is better by the way, this podcast, <laughs> but um, discovering multifamily um, is, is my podcast. So it's more of an educational platform. Uh, we focus on, um, you know, pretty much everything apartments. I have some motivational speakers come on as well. So general business as well. Um, you can find this on iTunes, pretty much every platform. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going, the podcast is doing really well. And, um, you know, it's more of, for me, it's more of an educational tool, uh, for myself actually, because I get to learn a lot and I get to share it with, uh, anybody who's listening. So I think it's a pretty cool, um, media platform. Yeah. It's a great thing about podcasts is the amount of information I learn, And when I write questions and uh, kind of figure out what I'm asking, uh, it's something where it's a lot of it's for myself that I, you know, so I imagine it's the same thing for you too. So it's a great medium for doing that. Sure. So in addition to the podcast, how can listeners learn more about uh, you and your business? Sure. So we actually have a special report. It's called how to uh, leave your nine to five through financial independence. And you can find that you can just go to our website, rednightproperties.com with the K, rednight. And it's, it actually just pops right up. Just, you know, put your email in and it'll be emailed to you. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a nice special report that, uh, you know, we put together and, uh, you can find us basically on our website. We're on every social media platform on there. Um, and you can reach out to me on LinkedIn and, um, send us, send us a note. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Anthony, for being on the show today. Uh, looking forward to meeting up with you in the future uh, after all this COVID and uh, have a great rest of your day. You too, Charles. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Great. Hi guys, it's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.